0: It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors, Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh
1: Gregory.
2: The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes
0: Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here friends. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG Studios, Josh Gregory and special guest back again, CFP CPA Ryan Fair. That's right. It
2: is episode 2 of our series on the biggest tax questions from the pandemic. And as Mike mentioned, we're joined once again by Ryan Fair who's going to be tackling some
0: bizarre tax questions today. <laughs> so we're hitting that and more on today's episode. We we took it easy on Ryan last time. I mean, if you if you watched or listened to the last to, to the last to the round 1 right of this two round match. We took it easy on him. We didn't I, stu- we didn't stump him. I survived. I don't know if you took it easy, but <laughs> I, we're going to stump him today. We uh, got some great questions. My favorite tax questions from the pandemic we're hitting coming up. If you have a question for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us a few different ways. Call or text us 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. You can submit questions right there on the right. And then most people though, leave questions, uh, get several a day on the YouTube channel. So go check that out, go to YouTube, search The Wise Money Show, follow us there, and turn on notifications and leave questions right there. And uh, we'll, we'll either answer them right there or we'll put them in the queue for an upcoming program. So, all right, Ryan, we're glad to have you back. We're gonna try and stump you. Um, this to me, we're gonna start with, I think, the, um, the most, we might kick you out of the studio. Mm. based on how you answer this <laughs> this is the most common common tax question in my opinion outside yeah. of is that stimulus taxable which the answer nope. is no nope. is that extra unemployment taxable and the answer is yep all right i had to work from home for part of the year and do or the I, full year or the full year yeah. I, I my office shut down we switched to working remotely do i get to claim the home office
1: deduction so Mike, I I see what you're up to. You brought me back to do your dirty work. <laughs> <laughs> the the answer is no, everybody. Get out! Uh, Get see, out, Brian! Get out of here. So so no, the the home office deduction uh, for employees of a company went away a few years ago. So so if you're just a regular W two employee, office shut down. Hey, go work at home. Uh, I'm sorry. There's nothing home office-related on your tax return that you can deduct.
2: Even if you have legitimate expenses, like it, it's costing you something to work from home. Yep. Maybe you had to go soup up your internet connection or something. There's nothing happening for you if you're an employee, you're saying.
1: Not from the IRS, not on your tax return.
0: Okay, we're uh-huh. we going to get into this because you because there are folks that hung a shingle. Like yep. they started working, hey, I lost my job, I'm going to start doing sales or I'm going to you know start doing um, 1099 type work. So I want to get into the home office, how that stuff works. But with that bad news, I just want to hit a couple of things here. So you, so you had to start working from home and you realized my, your internet speed is not up to snuff. So you needed to
1: buy more internet. Yeah. Is that deductible anywhere? Not by you as an individual taxpayer. Um, you could, uh, beg your employer Mm -hmm. and have, uh, I'm going to say this a lot, but an accountable reimbursement plan for the company mm-hmm. and the company can reimburse you for those expenses and they can deduct it, but not you as an individual. So
2: so that's a phrase that accountable an accountable reimbursement plan. Correct. Maybe a common place that you would encounter something like that is if you were doing some driving for your employer yep. and you're deducting your mileage or or not deducting it but rather Turning getting in, reimbursed yeah. for your miles. Uh that that's a type of plan, but you're saying that can exist in other areas as well. It can. For for internet access being an example. Yep. Okay.
1: Yep. Or I mean it could be anything from office supplies to internet to some of those, you know, various expenses. So the
2: idea being then that you can't take a deduction. But But your employer employer would be able to write it off as a
0: as a business deduction. Right,
1: and it's a tax free reimbursement for you as an individual. Uh Okay,
0: and and so the same would be. But I'm just hitting this so that your 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 mind doesn't wander too much. Same would be for a second monitor or for a keyboard and mouse, like those sorts of things, to functionally get maybe a a better chair at the home office. Yep. All of that stuff. There's no place to deduct it. Your best option is get your company to pay for it and get reimbursed.
2: I'm glad though that you, you. you recognize that this used to be an option to, to write these things off. In the effort of simplifying the tax code and everything, it went away. It, it'll be interesting in the coming years to see if this gets lobbied back into the tax code mm-hmm. with more and more people yeah. working from home as employees. I, I wonder if, if we're going to start getting these write-offs coming back again. Hmm. Stay tuned, I guess, would
0: be yeah. the,
1: the comment there. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay, so now what if you are self-employed? Yeah, so okay.
1: self-employed is a totally different story. So let's uh, say you
0: were renting a place, and you're like, "I'm not renting this little, you know, this this little. I had, I was renting an office at a right. local office complex, and no way, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't need it, and it's expense, and whatever. I'm not doing that. I'm now going to work out of my house.
1: Yep. So work out of your house. Um, so so the way that this normal home office deduction works is if you have a part of your house that's used regularly and exclusively for your business or some part of your business operations and you're self-employed, you can deduct those home office expenses. So the way that it typically works on your tax return, there's two different ways. There's either the simplified method or the regular method. And simplified, it works a lot more like when you get reimbursed for your mileage where the IRS came out and said, you know, for every mile that you drive we will allow you to get reimbursed X amount from your employer. Um, if you're self-employed and have a home office, the IRS has assigned a, a value of $5 per square foot up to 300 square feet. So if you do the math there. There's $1,500 deduction. If you use the full uh, 300 square feet uh, and that is the amount that will allow you to take as a tax deduction on your schedule c as a sole proprietor uh, business it's so so that's the easy way they call it the simplified method literally from the irs Mm -hmm. the the other option is much more complex but could lead to a larger deduction and it's, it's a lot more record keeping where you do have to actually keep track of all of your utilities your mortgage interest property taxes homeowners insurance uh, improvements, you know, depreciation—all of that stuff is involved if you're doing the regular uh, home office deduction instead of the simplified. So that's
2: the more traditional approach that everyone used to have to jump through those yep. hoops and and calculate all those different expenses, track them, and everything. Exactly,
1: and it is still it is still um, common, but a lot of people opt for the simplified method. Yeah. And in the other, it's still based on square footage also. So so either method you choose, you have to keep track of the square footage. So if your office area is in a 10 by 10 room that's used regularly and exclusively for business, that 10 by 10 room is 100 square feet. Your whole house is 1,000 square feet. So 10% of your household utilities, 10% of your mortgage interest, 10% of each of those expenses is what gets Deducted as a home office deduction, as
2: opposed to the five percent simplified.
1: Five dollars per $5. square oh, foot. Thank
2: you for yep. correcting that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Now, okay, so uh, you you kind of paused and and were really clear to use these two words, regular and exclusively. Yes. I, I mean, <laughs> how rigid is it that this this space really is just a home office and it's not also a spare bedroom or? storage or, or something like that.
1: Yeah. You can go back and read uh, different IRS audit cases and it is pretty rigid. So the IRS, so the exclusive part is what rules a lot of people out yeah. from being able to take the home office. You got a spare so, bedroom in there or, it, or a spare bed in there. Yeah. Right. And so if you have guests that, you know, three times a year for holidays, they come and spend a couple nights in that spare bedroom, it's no longer exclusively your office. It's hmm it's also a spare bedroom
0: can i just sum all of that up ryan to uh Please. that was bad news like <laughs> thanks for being mean to all of us but we've got great questions about should, if you fixed up your house if you rented your house we're gonna try and stump ryan. So we got that and more coming up on the wise money show with corhorn financial group This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Are there still those uh, you know energy efficient tax credits out there and with all the work you did to your house during the pandemic do you get any tax benefit for that? We're going to ask that question to CPA Ryan Fear right Ryan Ryan, Ryan Fear. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's great Ryan Fear. Well, well, he's not fair. Subliminal. <laughs> all right. This is the Wise Money show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Ryan Fair and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel. Check it out. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to it, and leave questions, comments there as well. Hey, I
2: I will say, you are more intimidating with a beard these days. It you know,
1: that's it's the new Ryan, you know. Coronavirus. The new image. Yeah, new image. <laughs> I bought a Harley this year. Ah. Oh. Got a little Andrew. facial hair that I've never had before. It's, it's a can whole new can Ryan. you
0: deduct the uh your your beard uh products, your beard moisturizers, and all
1: that stuff? Maybe for this recording purposes, I could. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, don't look for any expense reimbursements for me. I, I might turn some in uh, to the company. Though. All right, so
0: let's talk about something a little <laughs> more practical. Although you know, sweat sweat uh, pants and not shaving. Yep, that definitely. <laughs> (laughs) became more uh, popular during the pandemic the other thing was i'm sitting around in my house all stinking day uh gosh that needs to be fixed up i'd love to paint that room or we should probably do this and we went from uh home renovations being like stopped in their tracks to being you can't book anyone like it's they're booking out years and years and charging whatever they want it seems so good friend of mine came out and had to put in a new furnace for the mm-hmm. bernards it was a solid uh 24 years old and mm-hmm. we, it was it went on and off on and off and and so finally it was like okay this thing just needs to be replaced and we got one of those old energy efficient ones ryan so we'll get into it sounds
1: expensive uh, it was expensive
0: yep. um good thing we do delayed spending so nice. the, so whatever and and if you're not sure what that means check it out because it it helps it yep. helps it wasn't a financial crisis Um, but are there still tax benefits let's, let's say furnace, let's say windows, let's say roof type stuff that's energy efficient.
1: Yeah. So there still are some energy credits, uh, hanging out there. Um, so let's, there's two, two different ones. So there's one's called the non-business energy property, uh, tax credit this is the same one that's been around for a long time. So actually 2005, this one started and certain stuff. So like we said, the windows, uh, the furnace, air conditioning, water heater, those are the the biggies that this credit applies to. Uh, Windows, for example, it's 10% of the cost you can take as a tax credit. So up to a certain limit. Yeah, up to $200. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So yeah, so they might as well say 1% wait, of j- the cost of the windows.
2: <laughs> 200 total for the year. Or is so, it just so that So it's category? even better than that.
1: Lifetime. It's the lifetime of this credit. So all the way back to 2005. So, Mike, if you moved into your house in 2005, decided to put a couple thousand dollars worth of new windows in, and then you do some more windows this year you've already maxed out your $200 window lifetime credit, so you don't get to take any more. Same thing for furnace air conditioning. There's different dollar amount thresholds for those. Um, it's like you know $150 for one of them, $200 for the other, but all of these combined max out at $500 over the lifetime. So over the last 15 years now, we're, we're talking, uh, so many people have already hit their limit by doing windows or a furnace within the last 15 years or air conditioning the last 15 years. How in
0: the world would you track that and remember that? That's a great question. Can, can you, so, so okay, so just off the record. Uh-oh. Can, can you double dip? Like how, like if you if you did TurboTax and then you switched to h and um, Cube and then you, you said, let's go to KFG. And so over these 15 years, you've had a few different tax preparers and now you're here with us could you know Me, does does the, does the IRS know
1: i would think the IRS has the ability to know because obviously it's reported on that tax you know that tax form um have i ever seen a notice as a result of somebody double dipping no oh there it is that's there it know, is that's not saying Go You're for it. sounding a
2: little too optimistic know, or opportunistic yeah. just here, Mike. It seems crazy that it
1: is crazy. Two hundred bucks or, or a cumulative five hundred bucks over right. fifteen. That's it. Yep, that's crazy. So the other ones that are there also. So that all that stuff we were talking about is called the non-business energy property tax credit. The other one is the residential energy efficient property credit. So this one's totally different, um, but it applies to all of the really expensive stuff. So solar, geothermal, um, you know, so solar electric, solar water heating, wind systems. If you have a small wind system, you put in your own windmill for energy production. Um, this credit is larger, but obviously the expenses are much more, you know, much more than just putting in some windows. Um, so, so for 2020, it's a 26% tax credit. Whoa. Yeah. So we're talking big big I think, dollars. I, I big think credit. a lot of
0: people tried doing solar this year. I think so. I, yeah. that, that might have been a boom.
1: It could have been. I haven't seen very much in past years. Well, because we don't have the sun around us. <laughs>
0: okay. yeah. Solar doesn't work for, in Indiana. No, we <laughs>
1: actually do have
0: one of our local farms here just just uh east of us on the highway yeah. turn their farm into a solar farm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's separate than what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah.
1: and it does go down to twenty two percent for this upcoming year. If you're thinking about doing it in twenty twenty one, goes from twenty six percent down to twenty two percent. It's just a.
2: And that's been declining yeah. over time, right? I mean, Correct. it seems like I there think was it a thirty five. What I yeah. was remembering too.
0: The problem though is, aren't these these utility companies are still charging you a normal amount? Like uh, anyway, that's a topic for a different show.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you guys try to keep your eyes and ears open and, and try to keep tabs on the changing winds with uh with the tax code and everything. But do you do you hear any rumors under this new administration which, you know, has been pretty public about being very environmental right. friendly and everything. Do you see this maybe becoming more lucrative or, or a bigger incentive in the future?
1: Yeah, it definitely wouldn't surprise me just because what you're saying there the new administration's very, very environmental conscious, friendly. They've come out, you know, in their first few days of, uh, of the new administration, they've come out and said, said as much, you know, that they're, um, you know, they, they, some of the very first executive orders were, you know, environmental overturning related, yeah, environmental yeah. stuff. So, so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if the credits go up. Okay. Speaking of house, so we've got a few other
0: questions here related to taxes in your house, but what about this one? You're sitting around your house you're hearing all this craziness that, oh, no one's buying houses. Oh my goodness, everyone's buying houses. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, we gotta move. Let's turn this house into a rental. Mm-hmm. And you start looking at, hey, all right, well, what needs to be fixed up before we would turn this thing into a rental? Um, and you start you start getting to work while you're living there. Yeah. Do you get to deduct that those expenses because you were planning on
1: turning that house into a rental? So again, I'm the bad guy here, Mike, but no you can't just start deducting them on your tax return um what you can do if you're you know let's say before you turn it into a rental you need to do a bunch of improvements you know fix it up put a new coat of paint on everything new porch new deck new whatever mm-hmm. appliances um you can keep track of all of that stuff while you're doing it but you don't actually get to deduct anything until it's till the real estate is put in service as a as a rental property. So so it can increase your basis right. for depreciation purposes, you could write it off in that manner, mm-hmm. but not while you're living there. That's just a personal expense or even if you moved out live somewhere else while you're doing the improvements, it's still not put in service as a rental, so you can't just start deducting everything. The other
0: big question connected to this is: uh, we bought a property and turned it into an Airbnb, or we mm-hmm. took our existing house and started doing some Airbnb. I mean, that's another theme we're going to be talking about here. It, it just, just coming up in a second, we're going to ask Ryan uh, about that, and we've got a few other questions related to, you know, you know, the confusion with taxes and everything else going on in the pandemic. So, lots more to come here on Wise Money Show the Corehorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. 2020 was the year of Airbnb. I mean, can you believe it? I would have said there's no way. These Everyone's got germs. I'm not going into someone else's house and staying. Boy, was I wrong. We're going to be talking about that as it relates to your taxes right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard here with me in the KFG Studios Josh Gregory, and special guest CFP, CPA, Ryan Fair. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Go check it out wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever. Go search it. Search Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Subscribe to it and, and rate, the, rate the program. We appreciate that. All right. So can you believe this? I, I watched the clip of the founder, one of the founders of Airbnb, when the stock Listed and started trading, and he was being interviewed at the very moment, nine thirty Eastern uh, AM Eastern time, and the shock, the utter shock on his face, <laughs> was, I would say, priceless, but it's not priceless. It's hundred ten <laughs> billion dollars. Let me, let so me. He just was watching you. his net worth like triple right before his eyes. Yeah, on live TV, as Kevin would say, I'm glad he was wearing his brown pants. Oh um, my goodness, Airbnb. <laughs> a company that doesn't own anything has a market value of 110 billion dollars now let me tell you that market value is higher than the six largest hotel chains marriott and hilton hyatt wyndham right it's it's higher than those six combined combined so so you Airbnb'd your house. Okay, let's let's first take it. You can take this from a tax standpoint in two different ways. You could, okay, I bought an Airbnb. I bought a house and I'm going to Airbnb, never lived in it. But let's first take, okay, I started Airbnb my place. I know we got lots of fans of the Wise Money Show on the West Coast and down in uh, on the East Coast and down in Florida. And so you took your house and you're like, ah, I can rent this thing out for a little bit how does that work from a tax standpoint the income and then expenses how does it work
1: if you start airbnb your primary residence yeah it's uh it's kind of goofy tax wise it's it's a lot more work and record keeping but it can be very lucrative too or fairly lucrative also if you're if you're doing it so uh we've we've been kind of used to this for many years around here being close to notre dame we see a lot of people that rent out their houses for the weekends of notre dame home football games that's kind of the best case scenario for taxpayers um, mm-hmm. IRS has a rule that if you rent it out for less than 14 days per year or less than 15 days per year, so 14 or less, um, that income is all tax free. You don't have to report it as income. You don't have any additional expenses to deduct. It's crazy. That is how it becomes lucrative by the yeah. way mm-hmm. that, I mean, you could make ten, twelve, fifteen thousand,
2: 15,000 depending on how nice your house is and yep and uh, whether or not notre dame's playing well but uh that's huge income and for it to be tax-free what else can you say that about in your financial life other than that yeah no that's wild your roth ira hsa there you go There, there there are some but this makes it a pretty pretty sweet deal that a lot of people gets their attention and why more people are pouring dollars into their houses to maybe put themselves in a position to tap into some of this income
1: yeah, so so for just the regular family that, you know, again, Mike reference the, you know, nicer uh locations that people just want to go vacation, mm-hmm. uh Florida, West Coast, you know, south. Um it, it basically it's all it, it's a bunch of record keeping that is uh, reported on most cases, Schedule E, uh, there's certain criteria that you want to make sure that it goes on uh, Schedule E, which is the normal rental property, rental real estate uh, tax form of your tax return, and then you get to start taking off expenses based on a number of factors, primarily the number of nights that the home is rented and versus the number of nights that you use it personally, mm-hmm. and, a, and a fraction is is developed and then you get to take a fraction of your utilities um, you know mortgage interest property taxes all of that stuff you get to deduct off of the rental income that you've received from Airbnb Um and it's mm-hmm. pay tax how on would someone
2: left? who who is getting some rental income like this how would they know that they do get to write off some out-of-pocket expenses versus have to deduct it over time because that that throws people off you know they might go get the new furnace or, you know, do something to yeah. update or, or enhance their house. And then they're shocked or surprised that, wait, I thought I was going to get a write-off for all this.
1: Yeah, you you could get a write-off for it, but not all in this year. In that year. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so what you're referring to is uh, capital improvements versus just small repairs of a, of a property. So uh, if it's an improvement, like you mentioned, the furnace and air, you know, those types of expenses, uh, roof, you know major expenses, um, that fraction stuff that we talked about does still apply, but then it gets depreciated over a number of years. So residential real estate, uh, 27 and a half years that that expense gets depreciated over. Now other appliances and stuff like that could be shorter term. Um, it, it all very it all varies depending on what the actual expense is that you're that you're putting in.
0: Okay, so so let me let me take that a step further. For your house, that you Airbnb, oh, I need a nicer stove. Mm. So you buy a new stove for your house. You live there. Right. But you, you say, well, it's because, you know, I'm going to start airbnb in my house, and I don't want this pepperoni that's been charred at the bottom of the <laughs> stove since 1983. Maybe I'd recommend cleaning your I, stove. Yeah, stove. <laughs> that, that's eh, the first nah. place to start. I'll just replace <laughs> no it. No tax deduction. I'll but. just replace <laughs> it. So
1: do, do you get to deduct that? It's it's fractional, so fractional, okay. so again it's uh, it, it's okay. It's complicated. So <laughs> based on <laughs> number like of nights it. that you're you know if you if you're if it's your primary house and you're renting it out for thirty nights, but you live in it the other three hundred and thirty five, that's basically you know whatever the math ten percent roughly of uh, of that stove is a is a business expense that you depreciate, depreciate it like so that's the slow over time. Yeah. So over what do you say 27 and a half years where that's for the actual real estate part so, but, okay. so yeah 5 uh, years, years for the okay. yeah yeah a lot of I'm stuff sure that is makes 5 sense. or 7 years but still 10% of that $2000 stove or or whatever is it's not it's not a huge deduction you know so mm-hmm. i that's where don't let the tax what's that saying tax tail, tail, wag, wag the dog, the dog yeah. yeah
0: okay so so speaking of uh, something sort of wagging the dog is i their incomes. Interest rates have dropped to zero. Yeah. Rental, or at least properties, residential properties have gone up through the roof. Lots of people are looking at buying rentals and um, and buying in spots where they can just Airbnb it. So if you did that in 2020, what sorts of tax benefits are there? You get to start deducting it. And, and yeah. how does that work if it's not your property, like your personal residence?
1: Yeah. So no, that's that's actually a lot easier from the record keeping standpoint and from a tax standpoint. Um, you know we're not worrying about the number of nights and all of that stuff. We're it's exclusively used as a Airbnb rental property. So you deduct 100% of the utilities, 100% of the you know paint and repairs and um, you know mortgage interest, property taxes, insurance on the property. You know all of that stuff is is subtracted you still do have to depreciate the actual cost of the property Mm -hmm. um so like the house itself that's where we talked about the 27 and a half years is the depreciation period if you're doing you know furnace uh those kinds of improvements are also long 27 and a half years for that kind of stuff but the appliances uh carpet you know those kinds of expenses are capital improvements that typically need depreciated um but that's more like five seven year property that you can write off and over that period.
0: Let me let me point something out that Ryan snuck in really subtly. Um, if you're doing this because you just started Airbnb in your house or you bought one and you're just yeah, I I like doing my taxes myself. Don't. Don't let that money show up on a Schedule C. Don't do it. That is an enormous mistake that if you're doing things yourself, you could easily get into or working with a part-time tax preparer who doesn't do this full-time. That'd be an expensive mistake. Work with a pro like Ryan and our team. Yep. All right. We've got a few other questions coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group.
2: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane
0: Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thanks for being with us. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Josh Gregory and special guest, CFP, CPA, Ryan Fair, If you've missed anything, every episode of the Wise Money Shows on podcast, go check it out. You can also find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. We got a media player right there. Check it out. You can even submit questions right there on the right. And that's what we're into right now. This has been uh, the second show of a two-part series on Stump the CPA, Ryan Fair. You did all right. You you did all right. And uh, so obviously the pandemic brought on all sorts of changes in your life. And I'd probably argue like more change to the tax code than I, mm-hmm. I mean any of us would have thought all the stimulus all of this stuff impacts taxes and so make sure you're getting financial wisdom and working i mean i so we would tell you um work with a professional as opposed to you know just trying to ad hoc it um and then work with a a full-time CPA and and tax professional as opposed to just someone who hangs a shingle, and works as a tax preparer for a couple months of the year. That's it. Um, And then really make sure it's all integrated with your overall financial plan. got a few great questions here related to taxes, not necessarily pandemic. This one's from Jean, who's a fan of the show. I've connected with her a few times. She's asked several questions. Thanks so much for listening and for your engagement, Jean. This one's back in December, and I already worked with her on this. But I wanted to air it out even though we're into the new year and it doesn't directly apply, but the concept applies. So here's what she said. I've got a question on timing of giving stocks to a charity. I, have a, I own 100 shares of stock currently valued around five grand. My income this year with dividends, everything in is around 125000 but I'm now retired if I use just my savings and dividends to live on next year when I'm retired my income will only be 30,000. Should I donate the stock in 2020 when my income was high or should I donate it in 2021 when my income's low? What are your thoughts?
2: Great great question. I mean we can yeah. speak to this one even though the year has come and gone. So So we can't literally look at this question as if it's a live question. It's more of a scenario that could play out again for many of our listeners here towards the end of 2021, right? Anytime you come to the end of a calendar year and you've got to make a choice on, do I pull certain deductions or write-offs into this year or do I want them out into next year? There's certain principles that can apply here. Um, And to me, it all just boils down to the fact that well tax write-offs are more valuable to you the higher the tax bracket that you're in right and that might sound obvious but uh the the reality is some people don't really even know exactly what tax bracket they're in this year or what would change next year Mm -hmm. they're just looking at tax returns just kind of kind of short term in nature and not looking at multiple years and and so on so gene i i would just applaud the fact that you were even examining two years side by side that's fantastic Obviously, the fact that we are now into a new uh, administration, that tax laws change over time as well. That could be the other variable to pay attention to. Um, and, and tax laws could, or, or tax write-offs could be more valuable to you just simply because the laws change over time. So I, in general, I, to me, I, I would have, and I'd be curious to hear what your conversation with her was about pulling that gift into 2020 Mm -hmm. um, when you were in a higher tax bracket. But just keep in mind that those types of gifts are, they're only deductible to you if you are itemizing your deductions. Maybe Ryan, you can kind of unpack some of that for us.
1: Yeah. So, so if you itemize, that's where you deduct those charitable contributions. So where my mind was going 2020 while she is working and and has good income the, the chances of her itemizing are going to be higher than when she is retired right. and and doesn't have that high income. So the standard deduction for for an individual or a, a filing single uh, taxpayer like this, the chance of hitting it while she's working is higher because the typical itemized deductions that Jean or someone in her position would, would have, you deduct any taxes, so state and local income taxes that you pay. So all of those state and local withholdings on your paycheck Show up as an itemized deduction in the year that they're paid. Add that with property taxes on her residence, you know, vehicle excise tax. If there's still a mortgage that there's mortgage interest on, and then you throw in charitable contributions such as this five thousand. Her chances of hitting that thirteen fourteen thousand dollar itemized deduction uh, threshold for a single taxpayer would be greater in the year that she has higher income, um, which is where. I would say take the deduction in 2020 because um, your chances of itemizing in 2021 are next right. to none. Unless so, she might uh,
2: not get any right. tax write-off or te-
0: tax benefit in 2021 if she had delayed. Correct. I actually, so I I worked with Jean on this. She is able to itemize in 2020. Okay. She she was, and so yeah. I, when we were connecting, it was middle of December, uh, December 16, and I said, yeah, Good. absolutely. I would yep. I would donate it. Um, if you're going to itemize, because this will help you itemize even more versus getting the standard next year. Now, I have no idea what will happen to tax rates this year. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's another play on this. And I don't know if you saw it, but she said her income this past year before retired was $125,000. 125, That's great income. Um, but if she just lives on savings and dividends, it'll be thirty. dollars gene i mean that opens you up to consider some roth conversions yeah because if you're just retiring uh, you're young y- likely you're going to be retired for a few decades and and so if your income's only thirty thousand, should you consider converting and if you're converting then you also might be looking at well where can i find some other deductions to help offset some of this conversion so that's that's what we're talking about with with comprehensive financial planning Mm -hmm. retirement cash flow taxes i mean it's all connected here yep you're exactly right and you know your your certified financial planner or your
2: cpa working with your certified financial planner can help you determine whether or not you actually would have gotten a a write-off here in in 2021 or not Um, so uh, being able to forecast what your tax picture will look like in the future you have to make certain assumptions and to me relying upon professionals who know your situation and know really the, the areas that you can swing your tax picture, um, you know, pulling, pulling additional income into, uh, this year because of doing a Roth conversion is a fantastic idea. Help you maximize those lower tax brackets. Yeah.
0: Okay. Great question here from Steve also posted on the, well, this one was posted on the YouTube channel. Uh, with a video where we were talking about an hsa and being on medicare and so so here's here's this question so hsa contributions stop when a policyholders uh turn 65 whether they're employed or not and he has a question there because that's not true We'll we'll talk about that is there any case where you should decline medicare part a so that you can still contribute to an HSA that's more the question so Josh do you want to take it There's sir a comment that's really a question and then his other question
2: right so the the specific question on you know at age 65 you're suddenly not eligible to contribute to an HSA that's technically not true That is not true um, it's the fact that you are signed up for Medicare that makes you not eligible now that happens at age 65 for most people, unless you take action to prevent it from occurring.
0: Yeah, and so let me just geek out for just a second here. There's, um, if you are still working at age 65 and you've got group insurance, you're and you're not drawing social security, then you're not automatically going to get on Medicare. You You won't, there's nothing that automatically puts you on there. And if your group coverage, health insurance coverage, is a qualifying high deductible health plan, just keep contributing to your HSA, even though you turn 65, no problem. But you can't deduct your HSA contribution if you have other health insurance. And that's what can trip people up. If they've got Medicare, but they also have um, an HSA plan, Mm -hmm. well, that means you're not eligible to deduct A contribution to your HSA so
2: you know if um, Ted Foster or Craig Weicker some of our health insurance experts were on this show if this this was a show about health insurance in retirement you know one of one of the questions that I never bother to even try to keep straight in my head I just go to them is whether or not your employer can force you to add Medicare once you reach age 65 Mm. and I, I feel like and this is foggy in my head but I feel like it may have something to do with the number of employees with the employer. Like The rules are different depending on what company you actually work for. Oh, that's interesting. So <laughs> it, it just when you think you, you've got it straight in your head, um, there's extra wrinkles that sometimes appear.
0: Well, I'm gonna throw a couple at you with this. So so let's go to Steve's second question, that is, is is there any case when declining Medicare Part A is advisable? Possibly, I mean, possibly in this very scenario. If you, for some reason, if you're also, if you're working and trying Social Security and you're gonna be thrown into Medicare Part A as soon as you turn 65, but you want to make sure you can still contribute to an HSA, then maybe you decline Medicare Part A. Here's the other wrinkle though. Where this normally comes up about declining Medicare Part A is you have a spouse who's working still working and they've got a high deductible health plan and they're doing family coverage so so spouse is is working and so you are turning 65 and you're on social security so you're going to get medicare part a automatically unless you do something but you've got this family coverage you've got this group coverage if you're not the employee If your spouse is the employee and they've got family coverage, you can sign up for Medicare Part A and your spouse can can still contribute the full family amount to the HSA. That's the only way you can double dip and contribute to the HSA, but also have other health insurance. Interesting. So crazy. (laughs) That is absolutely nuts. So, all right. Great, great question there. Um, Okay, so quick, oh gosh, let's see. I don't even know if we've got enough time for this here from George. We're gonna sneak it in. Um, well, here, how about this? George asked a question, and we'll leave it up here. but the five year rule for um for IRA, for Roth IRA. So Josh, really quick, how, can you explain the five year rule for the Roth IRA?
2: Well, I, I think the the basic gist of it is just simply that, um, when you convert money from an IRA to a Roth IRA, you're moving it from a taxable account to a tax-free account so that when you get into retirement and you start drawing off of that Roth IRA, it's all tax-free income to you. But there's big ifs attached to that. And it's, it's quickly that you, are, um, you have had that Roth IRA open for at least five years yeah. and you're over age 59 and a half. And and that word and is the most important thing to tuck in there.
0: So you've, there are two different five-year rules with the Roth IRA. Work with your CFP on that. We'll get into George's question hopefully next week on the program. But that's all the time we have for today. Thanks, Ryan, for being here yeah, again. Thank you. On behalf of Ryan and Josh and everyone at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group